This is the Watershed Podcast. Watershed is a worshiping community of Heart of White Ministries, located near the sandy beaches of Lake Michigan in the city of Holland. We gather on Sunday mornings to study the Bible and learn what it teaches. Join us and discover the scriptures for yourself. Good morning. Happy, sunshiny, almost springtimey day. Right? A little hopefulness. I'm going to get out on my motorcycle this afternoon and go for a ride. So, I don't know about you. Find something nice to do outside. Breathe in fresh air. Uh, We are continuing in a series uh, from the birth of Christ to the birth of the church. It's a long series where really we're just engaging the life of Jesus. And this morning is the first Sunday in something we call in the church Lent. Lent is a season uh, for reflection. Lent is a season where we anticipate and look towards the cross that we just sang about. To dwell on, to think about why Jesus actually had to come and die. As well, uh, Lent is a period of 40 days. In the 40 days, mirrors the 40 days that Jesus spent in a wilderness. And we're going to talk about that story this morning. Before we do that, though, uh, I want to bring us to another story, the Screw Tape Letters. I, I think that's one of my favorite titles of a book, the Screw Tape Letters. Um, but uh, C.S. Lewis is a writer that, if you were here during Christmas time, uh, I referenced him in the, the books The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, and then the whole Chronicles of Narnia. That's Probably what he's best known for, popular-wise. But he wrote lots of other um, fictional works as well as theological works, works that talk about who God is. In the Screw Tape Letters, uh, it's a fictional story, but it's a story in which C.S. Lewis actually dives into the depths of temptation. Uh, It's about Uncle Screwtape, who is the undersecretary of the temptation department. Like, how do you like that? The undersecretary of the temptation department, his whole goal is to bring souls to our father below. Right, so this is his job. But Uncle Screwtape has his nephew, Wormwood. And Wormwood's whole, uh, he, he's a junior devil. Okay, so Screwtape, he's the undersecretary. Uh, Wormwood is a junior devil. He just graduated from uh, the Hell's Training Academy, Academy for Devils. woo that's a school. Send your kids there. Right, Wormwood now is commissioned with uh, his first patient. Okay, in screw tape letters, patients are the everyday, ordinary people like you and I. But again, the whole, whole goal of the devil, of our father below, according to screw tape, is, is to have us, to take us away from what they call the enemy, who we call God, a beloved father. Throughout the story, there, there's just series of letters back and forth between the nephew, Wormwood, and his uncle, Screwtape. And, and Wormwood's saying, how do I get this patient? I can't seem to get him. Throughout the, throughout the story, there's over a hundred different tactics used. A hundred different tactics used to get the patient away from the enemy who is God. Tactics like lunch. How do you like that? If we can just get him to focus on lunch, he's hungry, right? If I can get you distracted. 
Or how about contentment? That's, that's another tactic that the devil uses in the story to get the patient, that wormwood and screw tape one. I will just get you to be completely content in life. No need. Or how about completely self-righteous? Pride and how good I am at going to church. Or how good I am at praying. Or how many times I've read my Bible today. Right? These are the tactics used, but the whole point is again to divide and conquer. C.S. Lewis writes this story to help us be reminded that we have an enemy in this life. We have one who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy our lives. One who seeks to take life away. One who wants to create hopelessness, loneliness, isolation. One who seeks to take, not to give. You see, this one that we face every day, that C.S. Lewis knew we faced, Jesus also faced. This one who would tempt Adam and Eve in the garden way back in Genesis. See, they were with God. They were in communion with God. They were together. They were experiencing life. And the devil knew if he could just get them away from him, he could lead them into a wilderness. And that's what happened. They fell. They gave in to their temptation. They went from a garden to wilderness. And yet today we hear of a story of one who would come into the wilderness to bring us back into a garden. Matthew 4 is where our story is this morning. If you'll turn with me, whether you're following along on your, on your phones, in your Bible, or up on the screen, hear God's word. And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Matthew is giving us a perspective. He's saying, this had to happen. The Spirit led him and knew that the, the devil was going to tempt him. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Yes, the God of the world actually gets hungry. I don't know about you, 40 days and 40 nights without any food? Be hungry too. So Jesus, being fully human, was fully hungry. The tempter, the devil, the tempter came to him. And he said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, all of his answers are rooted in Scripture. In Deuteronomy 8, this first one, Deuteronomy 6 later. But in Deuteronomy 8, Jesus quotes, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the, devil, of the temple. So he took him from, from loneliness and isolation in the wilderness, and he puts him at the pinnacle of the temple where people were surrounding him. I mean, it's time for the spectacular. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they'll lift you up with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So do the fantastic, Jesus. Come on. People would follow you in the middle of everything. Pull an evil Knievel move and you'll be fine, right? Ooh, everybody will be amazed. And what does Jesus say? Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give to you, he said. All this I'll give to you. If you'll bow down and worship me. That's it. That's all you got to do. 
Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. This is God's word for us this morning. As we think about this, think about what is Satan, our enemy, God's enemy? What is his tactics? What does he try to do in our lives when he comes to tempt us as we live in this wilderness, that, this place that isn't quite our home? As we live in a place that's separated from a God who created us and loved us, as we live oftentimes not being able to see clearly as we live walking the everyday. I think the first tactic of Satan is easily overlooked. It's a little word called if. If. If you're the son of God. See, the story right before our story this morning was Jesus' baptism. And what does God say at his baptism? What does God say? Last week we talked about Jesus being on the mountain and transfiguring, changing in front of his eyes. Both times, God makes a declarative statement that says, this is my son whom I love with whom I'm well pleased. Here's a declarative statement. And what does Satan do? What's his first word? If you're the son of God. J.D. Greer, a pastor and author, says this, Satan puts question marks in your life where God has put periods. Satan puts question marks in your life where God has put periods. This is Satan's number one tactic. If I can get you to think differently, if I can just confuse you a little bit, if you're not quite as convicted as you were, See, I like to argue. Nobody laughed at that. Unless y'all like to argue too. Let's go. I like to debate. That's that was fun. I I I won a speech competition in college. I mean, this it's fun. the The great part about debating is not about telling somebody they're wrong. See, you don't win debates that way. In fact, if you tell somebody they're wrong, usually you tick them off. Amen. You want to know how to win? Get them to question what they believed. Get them to doubt their conviction. Get them to question what their argument is all about. Get underneath their skin. Keep keep messing with their head. Don't tell them they're wrong because then they're just going to fight. No, be more devious than that. See, C.S. Lewis knew that as he wrote the screw tape letters, that the devil is devious. He's tricky. Genesis 3, here's the story of the first temptation. It's not all that different than the tactics used against Jesus. Now the serpent was more craftier than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. Right? What is he? He's crafty. He said to the woman, did God really say? You hear the question, don't you? If you're really the son of God, hmm, Did God really say? Well, you're asking me a question. I I think so, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he said, did he really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? See, he likes to manipulate the words as well. And the second temptation that, that, that the devil uses on Jesus, he actually quotes Psalm 91. He, he quotes the very scripture that Jesus says back to him. But he twists the words just slightly. 
oftentimes his temptations sound like truth, and yet they're manipulated. Did he, did he really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Now listen to his questioning again. Oh, you'll not certainly die. He knew that Adam and Eve wouldn't, you know, crumble back to the dust that they were created out of in that moment. But he did know that death would come. He did know that they would be separated from God. He did know that a life that was created for eternity would now find an end. But what does he say? Oh, you'll certainly not die. I mean, if you want to be technical about it. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Yeah, your eyes will be opened. But as we hear in this story, our eyes would be opened in a way that we can't handle. We weren't made to handle. See, Satan wants to put question marks in your life where God has put periods. His tactic is to get us to come in the moments where we're hungry, to come in the moments where we're isolated, alone, to come in the moments even when we think we have strength. I I stand on the word and he's going to come even in that place that we, we feel the strongest, like screw tape and wormwood. Hey, wormwood, a great tactic for you is come at him where he's they're puffing their chest because sometimes you can find out that that's the way it but if we can get him to doubt right if we can get you to think twice if we can get you to 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 believe that you're you're not on solid footing man the devil's like i already win why because he's trying to make us establish our lives on anything and anyone other than God. Look at the temptations of Jesus. Turn stones to bread. If you're hungry, produce for yourself. Is that wisdom in the world? Right? Come on, take care of yourself. Pull yourself up by the bootstrap. Get going, get after it. You are what you produce. If you're really the son of God, come on produce for yourself. Don't trust that your father, who's out in the wilderness with you, will produce for you, will take care of you. No, do it yourself. How often is that a temptation in our lives? The temptation to be relevant. The temptation to have to pull it off. The temptation that our identity is found in what we put out there, what we produce. Think about the second temptation. You're put up on the, uh, on the pinnacle of the temple. Do something spectacular. Do something that people will, of course, like you, follow you, believe in you. Right? That that's the way. Not only you are what you produce, but this temptation of in order to be God, you must do something spectacular. And in order for us to be human beings who are worth something, we have to do something spectacular. Not only do we have to produce something, we have to be fantastic. Right? Satan gets after every one of us. 
inserting a different story, inserting a different opinion. Comes after Jesus with a third temptation, puts him on the top of a mountain, says, oh man, all of this can be yours, like it was the devil's to give anyways. Right? Let's get the story straight. The devil's title is the prince of the world. That's, that's one place he's referenced in the scripture. He's the prince of the world. But who's the king? It's kind of ironic, right? The prince is talking to the king. Hey, I'll give you everything if you just bow down and worship me. If you just take the easy road. Why would, because remember, Jesus knows he's going to a cross. He's out there starving Why? To be one of us. To be fully human. To save us. And the devil goes, no, take the easy road. Be powerful, be secure. All of this, if you just give a little bit. Right? How often are we asked in our lives, tempted, just give a little? Oh, it's no big deal. Just about, take the easy road. It's not, no, we're not called to suffer. That, that's not supposed to happen. That's not good news for us. No way. Jesus did, but no, we don't have to. But you see the temptations. And in all of this, Satan's saying what to Jesus? God doesn't care about you. You aren't who you are. He said you were the son of God. No, in order to be the son of God, you've got to prove you're the son of God, not what he said you are. That's not good enough. And how often is that true in our lives? Where we feel like we have to perform for God. We have to produce something. We have to be spectacular. We got to be the best in order for God to love us. And yet the good news is God declares, you are my son. You are my daughter. You are mine in Christ Jesus because of what he's done. And yet we get caught in these same temptations. How many times do we trust our own power and ability and not Lean on his. See, the devil's saying to Jesus, no, your father's power isn't enough. You need mine when we know it's all a lie. See, while these may be his tactics, he may be putting question marks where there are periods. Jesus knew there were periods and not just periods, there were exclamation points about his father about who he was and whose he was, even though he was in a wilderness. Jesus, first and foremost, trusted the Father's presence. How and why do you think he went out in the desert anyways? (laughs) How do you think he could handle 40 days and 40 nights without food? Because he knew that his Father never left him alone, that his Father was there in the middle of the, the chaotic, everyday life, and he was also there in the quiet desert in the nothingness. He trusted his father's presence. He could go into the wilderness. He knew he wasn't alone. He could trust in his father's provision. When he quotes Deuteronomy 8, he says what? Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus would say in Matthew 6, verse 25, isn't life more than the clothes we wear and the food that we have? See, God knows that. He'll provide what is needed for us. But man, it is him. Jesus knew that at the core of our lives, our identity is in him. 
his, his presence, which we'll get to his presence, sorry, his provision is enough. In John 6, Jesus would also later say, I am the bread of life. To help us understand, yes, do we need bread? Do we need water? Sure. But more than we need bread and we need water, we need the one who created us, who loves us and sustains us. Jesus then trusts in the pronouncement of his father. You are my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. He doesn't need something else to prove to him his worth, his value, his identity. He trusts in the declaration and the pronouncement of his father. Not only does he trust the pronouncement, right? He, he says, he quotes back Deuteronomy 6, and he says, so don't put the Lord your God to the test. It isn't worth it. Don't test what he has to say about you. Because the minute we question that, we're fighting an uphill battle. The final temptation, we see Jesus wrap up a couple of things. He, that he trusts fully in his father's plan. He didn't need an easy way out. He knew if he took the easy way out, he wouldn't be able to bring salvation for us. He knew that he wouldn't be the savior we needed. He, didn't, he knew that he couldn't then be the person that we needed to save us. He trusted a plan that would take him to a cross because he knew there was also a resurrection and there was life. He trusted a power that was greater than the prince of the world. He trusted in one who would have his back and has ours. How do we face temptation? How do we face those question marks? We face it in him. I want to bring us to Hebrews. Hebrews 2 and 4. I know I've shared these verses before, but they're worth sharing again because they speak to the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness and why it was important. For this reason, Hebrews 2, verse 17, for this reason he had to be made like them. Fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of his people. He had to be fully like us in order to save us. But listen to this, verse 18, because he himself suffered. See, these temptations were not just him going, oh, la-di-da, Satan, get away, woo get thee behind me, Satan. No, he actually suffered 40 days, 40 nights, hungry. Yeah, you get, how many of you know the easy way? Oh, it feels good right away, right? In that moment, oh, yeah, if we could just get it done with. I don't want to have to go through what's hard. See, he suffered when he was tempted, but he's also then able to help those who are being tempted. That as he trusted the Father who had his back, we trust him who was fully like us to have ours when we face temptation. And Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Does that mean he faced every tactic that we face? No, every kind of temptation. No, but what's at the core of temptation? Yes. He's faced every bit of having to be independent versus dependent upon God. See, at the heart of all temptation 
Satan is trying to make us independent. Trying to pull us away. Not bring us closer. See, he faced that. So then what? Let us approach God's throne with grace and confidence so that we may have mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He has our back. And just like Jesus quotes scripture to the devil, we ourselves are equipped, Paul says in Ephesians. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Does it say be strong in yourself and your mighty power? No. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Right? Jesus was equipped with the power of God. We're equipped with the power of God. Put on the full armor of God so that you can what? Take your stand against the devil's schemes. Where he wants to put question marks in the place of periods. Where he wants to lie. Where he wants to steal. Where he wants to manipulate. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul says, so therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Verse 14, stand firm then, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist. So how many of you in the middle of a fight want your pants dropping to the floor? Right? I hear a little chuckle. It's okay. Yeah. You ain't going to win the fight. Your pants fall down. What's going to hold your pants up? The truth. Right? What's going to keep you girded? Literally God's truth. What What gave Jesus his solid foundation? He wasn't standing there. Not able to move, he was standing there secure because of the word of God, the truth that was secure around his waist. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. Is that us and our righteousness, how great we are? No. We stand firm in the Lord. It's his righteousness. It's his perfection. It's knowing that who we are and whose we are. It's knowing our identity is in him. That's guarding our hearts when we come into the fight. Because, man, if I'm thinking about how good I am or how much of a knucklehead I am, oftentimes I think about how much of a knucklehead I am and then I lose the fight. So I'm focused on what I can't do and I get weak. But see if I stand in his strength with his rightness guarding my heart. I can be strong. Paul says this, he says, And with the feet, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, that good news that restored our relationship with God. We have a relationship res- that is restored. We are children. We have that declarative pronouncement of God saying, You are mine. We can go ready. Says what? Says, so in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith. We've got to believe it. Right? If I don't believe it, I'm not going to be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. It's faith that protects us. Not how spectacular we are. Not what we produced. Not how powerful we are. It's trusting in him. He goes, then take the helmet of salvation knowing that we are secure. And the sword of the spirit which is, again, the word of God. Jesus fought with God's word and God's truth. 
was something he used to declare back to to Satan. This is what is true, and we can as well. He says, then pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Be alert, because the devil does come to us, just like he came to Jesus in the wilderness. And yet, along with Christ, we have the ability to say, away from me, Satan. We have the gift of his word to be able to declare truth, to hear truth, to speak it back. We know, as Jesus knew, who we are and whose we are. And so when it comes, we can stand secure. I want to offer, as we are in a season of Lent, in a season of reflection, in a season oftentimes where people fast. Why do we fast? We, we, uh, I, I think today, I mean, you see a lot of it just around um, that we fast because it's fun. There's no real end in it. But fasting is actually there to create space. Create space for us to realize we don't live on bread alone, but we live on the very word of God. We live in God. It's space to create an opportunity to dwell in his identity gifted to us, his truth for us. But I don't know about you, I, I've, when I have tried to do the Lent thing, if you've ever tried to, to participate in Lent, I struggle with just going, okay, what can I get rid of? I can never think of something good um, as I have coffee standing and sitting in front of me. Uh, but the reality is I, what's helped me uh, in this relationship, what's helped me rest in who I am and whose I am is focusing not necessarily on what to give up, but focusing on putting on something new. I mean, if Paul says if to put something on is how I can stand against, I, I, I've begun to think about during Lent maybe a new spiritual practice to work on. Spiritual practices are simply disciplines for us. They're things for us uh, to provide space, to make space in our lives to hear again God's declaration of who we are, that we're his. To remind us of what he's done and what he does in his power. There's spaces to be able to rest. Some of these disciplines, uh, I actually pulled these from Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Disciplines. Not often I stand up here with a couple books. But start with screw tape letters. I might as well end with some other books too. But Celebration of Disciplines is a classic work that helps us understand what, that these aren't check boxes for us. They're not do this in order for God to love you. No, they're participate in these practices and experience God's love. So that's one. And the other one is The Sacred Way with Tony Jones. And if you didn't know, Shameless plug for Zach. Zach has offered on Wednesday nights opportunities to go through the sacred way, to practice some of these practices, to live in them. But what are they? To meditate in God's word, to pray, to fast, right? to study the scriptures, to get down into it. Simplicity, to get rid of some stuff, to stop consuming so much, right? That challenges that producing spirit, doesn't it? Submission. Ooh. Don't always have your way. Ouch. Right? To submit to someone else. Yeah, why don't you? How about you choose for us? Service. To give to another. What would that look like? 
confession, to actually take time. These la- the next four are, are primarily communal. They're done with others' disciplines. But what would it look like to actually sit with a trusted friend and confess the temptations you've given into? To hear again the forgiveness that you've received in Christ. To let what's done in silence come out into the light. What does it look like to do what we're doing this morning? Worship. To worship a little more. To worship a little more regularly. I don't know. Maybe that's a place to to join with others, not just in this space, but out in the world. To to worship simply means to glorify, to to make greater, to to speak to how fantastic. Maybe you're going to listen to some more music. (laughs) Sing a few more songs. Right? You're going to Pray a few more prayers. Guidance. Maybe it's actually asking for help. Sometimes our pride gets in the way of this one, doesn't it? The ability to say, you know what, I've really been struggling. Will you help me? Go to a trusted person who can help you as you walk through and maneuver through life. And celebration. Do you know this is a pretty good spiritual discipline? Celebrate. Like, enjoy what God has done and has done in somebody else's life and in your life. To, to, to raise a glass to toast to the goodness and beauty of our God. I threw in the last one of Sabbath. See, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. I'm quoting Jesus. The Sabbath is a time of rest. The Sabbath is an ability to let go, to stop producing to trust that God actually invites us to rest in him. The first day for creation was actually, once creation had formed, the first day of life was a Sabbath. It was rest. As God had created for six days, now everything was alive, boom, six days, everything's there. What does he say? Go do all kinds of fantastic things. He goes, no, rest. Rest in me. Enjoy. Think about the next 40 days. What might you think about adding into your life? See, for me, adding something in has always caused me to rearrange and get rid of something else. Because I don't know about you, I ain't got more time. Amen? But the beauty is we can practice these things. Why? So we can be found in the one who has become just like every one of us, who went as one of us into a wilderness, into the wilderness of our lives, faced the one who we have to face every day and conquered him so that we who left a garden for the wilderness can go from the wilderness back to the garden, back to a restored relationship with our God. Let's pray. God, we pray that uh, this morning you would just remind us again of how good you are, that your presence is with us, that you provide for us, that yes, you can provide food for us. I mean, you did for Israel. You provided manna in the desert when there was no food around at all. They couldn't make it. They couldn't find it. But you provided it. God, to know that You provide what we need, but most importantly, you provide life for us. That we live not simply on bread alone, but on your every word. 
that we can trust in your pronouncement that we are your sons and your daughters in Christ Jesus. Because of what he's done, because he's gone through a wilderness, because he went to a cross, and because he's been raised to life, God, we are raised to life anew. That when he in the cross defeated sin and death, Lord, yes, we still feel the after effects of sin, but we are no longer bound by it. We can say, away from me, Satan. Or because we are yours. Help us to trust that pronouncement today. Help us to know that your plan, God, your will is enough. We don't have to take the easy way out. Because your power is present. That you will do what you say you will do. God, thank you for being everything that we are in order to offer your salvation for all of us. Help us as we face the temptations of this life. Help us to be anchored in who we are and whose we are, that we are yours. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.